So we begin today in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 3, but that's in the middle of a sentence. So we're going to back up to verse 1 to get the start of the sentence. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying. So it comes from the Lord, and that word saying means it's a quote. So what does that say about these words? As compared to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, these words are God-breathed. They came out of the word, out of the mouth of God. Yeah, they're good for all those things. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction, and righteousness. All those things from chapter 3, verse 16. And it's also what God calls scripture. So knowing all that, these words are important. Verse 2. Hear the words of this covenant. Wait a minute. Is God making a new covenant? No, he's reminding us of the existing covenant. Hear the words of this covenant. Speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This was a covenant that their ancestors accepted voluntarily. They entered into a covenantal relationship with God in Exodus chapter 19. And God said, it's not just with you here today, but to your descendants after you. And say to them, verse 3, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Please put a thee between Lord and God. The word Lord there is the tetragrammaton, those four Hebrew letters, yod heh vav that take us all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, where God said, I will be whom I will be. And that's been the name of the Lord all throughout the scriptures. And then the God of Israel is a word pair. So the Lord is the name. The God of Israel is the description. It tells us that the Lord is God. Which prophet's name means the Lord is God? Yael, the Lord is God. Exactly, which we see in English as Joel. Hey, I know you get so wrapped up in the Hebrew, it makes so much more sense, but... And also the way they use the word Lord. It looks to us like it's being used as an adjective. And that's why I wanted to put the word the before God. The word Lord is a noun. It's not an adjective. It's not a description of the Lord. It's the Lord's name. The God of Israel. Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. Do you remember when God had Israel as they came stand on two mountains, Mount Ebal, etc., and yell back and forth a commandment, and the response would be, cursed is the man who doesn't do it? And they had to say, amen. They had to take upon themselves a curse if they do not keep these commandments. And that's what he wants Jeremiah to remind them is that you are under a voluntary curse if you do not keep these commandments. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 27 for a moment. Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27. Starting in verse 10. Therefore... You shall obey the voice of the Lord your God 
and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, what's that word saying? They've recorded the quote. These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. That is those tribes on Mount Gerizim. And these, the rest of the people, shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say what? Amen. So which portion of the people? All the people. Everyone. Sandy, your mic's open. Are you ready to go out and get them? Okay. Go get them. Let me... Just take care of that. Okay. And then, it, yes. So if if we didn't keep the commandments, we were calling a curse down upon our heads. So we've been cursed until Yes. And you took that curse voluntarily, whether you knew it or not. Yeah. So verse 15, curse is the one who makes a carved or molded image. What did the folks in Jeremiah's day do? They made images. They made idolatrous images. They cut crushes in the temple of God and stuck them in the temple walls. And then it goes on and on and on with curse after curse after curse. And after every one, they say amen. And look at the last one in verse 26. Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this Torah. And all the people shall say, Amen. And again, that was to those who were present and all those who would follow. It says, by doing them? It says that in, in the Hebrew. Yeah, it's to actually do them. But this is one of the places they didn't even translate those Hebrew words into English, isn't it? They left off a phrase. Yeah, you're right. So back to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 3. Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. The curse comes upon them by their own words. But what does the curse consist of? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. And I want to talk a little bit about the judgment that the United States is under. Oh, I mean the climate change that has come upon our country. No, I don't. Let's go to Deuteronomy 28. Listen to what God said the curse is if we turn away from the true and living God. Start in verse 15. Deuteronomy 28 beginning in verse 15. The first word is but, just change it to and because that's what it is in the scriptures. And it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. Does that say the ones that you pick and choose? No, it says all of them. That all these curses will come upon you and over, overtake you. Cursed shall you be in this city. Have you watched any videos of what's going on in the major cities? The riots, the burning, the pillages, the smashed storefronts, the murders. And cursed shall you be in the country. It's not limited to the cities. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, which means food's going to get expensive. It's going to be... Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. The price of food just goes up and up. Why? Because we've had drought after drought that destroyed hundreds of millions of acres. The cattle have died because of the drought. Where there's not drought, there's flooding and the crops are destroyed. That's part of the curse, God says, comes upon a nation who turns away from the Lord. Does the scripture say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord? The opposite of that is cursed is the nation who turns away from God as the Lord. Verse 18, cursed shall be the fruit of your body. That is, miscarriages, sick children, children who die too young, children who get off into drug abuse, etc. And produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. That is, instead of the flocks producing bountifully like rabbits, instead, there is little growth in the flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. That's talking about warfare. How did the United States fare in World War I? In World War II, we were great victors, right? How did we do in Vietnam after they took God out of the schools? It wasn't the same, was it? It wasn't a, a quick national victory. We were the victors of the world. No. Since then, how have we been doing? Pretty bad. Pretty bad. Verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do. This used to be the greatest, most powerful nation in the world. How are we doing these days? We're under a curse. It says, until you're destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have what? Forsaken me. Forsaken me. You guys are too young. But when I started elementary school, we did a pledge of allegiance and had a prayer each morning. Yes. I was just talking about that yesterday. I can remember when we had the pledge of allegiance to the flag, we had a prayer. I mean, that was our morning routine. That was the morning routine. When they took that out of the schools, what happened to America? We went downhill. We went downhill from there. Let's go back because, well, this is getting depressing. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 11. If we want America to be great again, we must turn back to God. But to God. We have a new speaker right in the house. Yes. Oh, and he's come out and said he's an evangelical Christian and the Congress is losing its mind. That we cannot have a Christian in a position of leadership. So we'll see how this goes. Let's keep an eye on it. So verse 3, cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant. It applies to the countries as well as to the individuals. 
Verse 4, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So it's not a new covenant that God is giving them in Jeremiah chapter 11. He's trying to call them back to what their forefathers promised for themselves and for their descendants. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 19. What did they promise God? Exodus chapter 19. What did they promise God? Let's start in verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice. What's that? To keep my commandments, right? Do what I say. Shema B'Kolo. Obey my voice. Shema B'Koli. His voice is O. Mine's E. Exodus 19 and what, sir? Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. A covenant is a set of promises. Mutual promises. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What are the believers called in the New Testament? The same thing, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The very same words. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So did God say if you keep commandments 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, etc.? No. He said if you will obey my voice, meaning whatever I ask of you. Verse 7. So the Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together. Just the physical descendants of Jacob... No, all the people, that includes the mixed multitude, is Jew and Gentile alike. All the people answered together, that is with one voice, and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That accepts the covenant. That is the covenant. There's the mutual promises. So let us go back now to Jeremiah 3 4. Before I go back, back in 19 6. Something caught your eye right here. Where it talks about, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2. That's quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2. And, you know, people want to take hold of that. You know, people that call themselves Christians and say, you know, I'm part of the new covenant, all those things. But then look at the Yes, Christians want to say, that's me. I'm part of that kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But and you're saying, but... Look at the next sentence. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So the children of Israel includes the, those that are grafted in. Everyone who comes to God by faith. So those that claim these words, you're claiming to be a child of Israel. When you claim these words, you're claiming to be a child of Israel. Or how did Paul put it? He didn't use the phrase children of Israel. He used the phrase commonwealth of Israel. But they mean the same thing. So, you know, and this also in my mind takes me straight to Leviticus 23. It takes you to Leviticus 23. Speak to the children of Israel and then do all of these things. Keep my Sabbath, my point of peace, my point of time. So people that want to say those are for Israel... Well, if you're claiming these words, then you are part of Israel. Right. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells the Gentile believers in the church at Corinth, what? 
let us keep the feast. And which feast is it? Passover. Passover. So Paul didn't say these are for the Jews. He said these are for all believers. You're exactly right. When you get saved by faith, what does it mean in Romans 11 that you are grafted in like a wild olive tree being grafted into a cultivated tree? It means you have been grafted into the children of Israel or the commonwealth of Israel. You can use either term. It doesn't say you go start your own tree. It doesn't, it doesn't say go start a new tree. It know, does not. And, and doesn't this tie perfectly to Romans 9 that says not all those who are of Israel are Israel, but the ones that are of Israel are the ones that are of faith. Right. It ties right back to Romans chapter 9 where those, not everyone who says they're of Israel are of Israel, but those that are saved by faith. Let's go look at that. Romans chapter 9. I, mean, I just think that's so important because when people say, It is important. When people say, you know, the, the Sabbath, all those things are for Israel. You're absolutely right. But if you're saved, you are part of Israel. If you are saved, you are grafted into Israel. You're absolutely right. Romans, 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. And we could go to Romans 1, we could go to Romans 2, we go to many places but the point is, when you get saved by faith, you are grafted into Israel. A lot of people say, I don't want to be. Well, you don't want to go to heaven. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 4. Also tries straight to what they were doing in Exodus 19. They were entering into they were entering into a covenant by faith. That was exactly the point I wanted people to get. They did not enter into that covenant by keeping a single commandment. It was by a promise of faith. Or because someone twisted their lips. I mean, they entered into covenant because of their faith. And it wasn't just, you know, the Jewish people. It was the non-Jews right. also. The Israelites that were native-born and the mixed multitude grafted in, they all voluntarily took it upon themselves to enter into a covenant with God by faith. They didn't even know what the commandments would be. They just said, God, you ask us to obey your voice, we will obey your voice, whatever you ask of us will do. And then they didn't. So for God to call them, these are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel, it's including all of them, even the non-Jew, even the one who was part of the mixed multitude. Right, the mixed multitude, the Gentiles that are grafted in, all these things apply to them just as well. Deuteronomy 31 points it out. Numbers 15, 15, and 16. We could go to, what, half a dozen different scriptures. We go to the New Testament. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So if we keep our focus on the word of God and not on any particular denominational doctrine, the commandments apply to whom? Everyone who claims to be a believer in Messiah. Yep. So back to Jeremiah chapter 11. <clears throat> Verse 4. Which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. What's he calling the iron furnace? Egypt. 
Did Pharaoh want to kill off the children of Israel? At least the males, right? Saying, Obey my voice. Remember seeing that in Exodus chapter 19? Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you. So you shall be my people and I will be your God. That's the covenant. It's not the commandments. It's the promise to God that we will do whatever you say. And God says, then I will be your God and you will be my people. What sense does it make to say, he is my God, but I ain't going to obey him? That's why. That's Mark chapter 7. What a privilege that we have to hear the voice of God. Yes. And to know the voice of God. Yeah. I mean, that is a privilege that uh, those of us who know it recognize it. And we should be humbled by being able to be chosen to hear his voice. I agree. But let's revisit one more time. What was the covenant? God said, if you will obey my voice, then I'll be your God, you will be my people. It's not the commandments. And people say, we're not under the old covenant, we're under the new covenant. And by that they think that means the commandments were the old covenant. And it's not. The covenant is the set of promises that we will be obedient and he will be our God. That reminds me of John chapter 1. Let's turn up to John chapter 1. John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. So people look at that as Old Covenant, New Covenant. And it's not Old Covenant, New Covenant. How long has Messiah been? He's been from the beginning. From the very beginning. How long has he been full of grace and mercy? For whom is he full of mercy? For those who love me and keep my commandments. That's all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the way that that's worded in the way people That's right. Grace and truth did not begin until Messiah, but then you added a word that made it all wrong. Till Messiah was born 2,000 years ago, but it's from the time of Messiah, which was before the foundation of the world. People forget that, though, don't they? The way the sentence is written is as though the law has a stopping point. But it doesn't, does it? What do law and grace do? Or put it another way, law and faith. That's Romans 3.31. Right. Turn to Romans 3.31. To Paul's own words. I've read many Jewish theological texts that say Yeshua of Nazareth was an Orthodox Jew. 
It was Paul who told us to stop keeping the commandments. But Paul did not do that. People misinterpret Paul. As if Peter didn't tell us that you got to be careful reading Paul. But Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? Answer, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Law and grace, law and mercy, law and faith have been together intertwined from the beginning. To say that there was a covenant of law that ended and was replaced by a covenant of grace is to make a dispensational error. Romans 10.4 also goes right along with Romans 3.31. So turn to Romans 10.4. Go ahead, Daniel. You can translate that verse to say... For Messiah is the goal or purpose of the law. For the purpose of righteousness. For the purpose of righteousness. To all who believe. To all who believe. That's exactly right. That's what Paul's trying to get across to us. But the translators get in the way sometimes. Yep. And verses 8 to 9 of Romans 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's from Deuteronomy. That is the word of faith which we preach. So the word of faith that Paul is preaching is from Deuteronomy. It was all the way back there. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, there's a problem with that. It makes Lord an adjective and it's not an adjective. It's a noun. It should read with your mouth that the Lord is Jesus. In other words, Yeshua is the Lord that we read about from Genesis through Malachi. The same Lord. Why did those scriptures say there's one Lord, one God who is the Redeemer, who is the Savior, who is the King of all? And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes... What does that word believe mean? That when God says something, you believe it and do it. Isn't that exactly what we read back in Exodus 19? If you will obey my voice unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes on him. And that word believes is a participle, continuing action, will not be put to shame. Unfortunately, people read the Bible as if it's written originally in English. And it's not. And sometimes the English words that, you, that are used in the translation don't carry the same flavor of meaning. For instance, one thing that's caused a big controversy about is it okay to eat pigs or not is the fact that in the original King James 1611, the word bread was meat. And people today think it's talking about animal flesh when it's talking about bread made from water and flour. But I digress. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 11. We're almost started. We're getting there. Obey my voice, verse 4, and do according to all that I command you. So, what does the word so mean? For this reason, 
So you shall be my people, and I will be your God. What does this say if I say, I'm not following God's commandments? I'm saying, I'm not one of his people, and he's not my God. Do you see that? Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you, so shall you be my people, and I will be your God. So why doesn't the New Testament say we should be keeping God's commandments? We just quoted at least 1 Corinthians 7.19. Yep, 7. I got to always think, is it 6 or 7? We got 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let's go look at those. I don't mean to beat a dead horse. But I know from the questions I get all week that the horse isn't dead yet. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, we know, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. What this is trying to say is, if you do not keep his commandments, you're not in the covenant. Because the covenant was, if you obey my voice, then I'll be your God and you shall be my people. It's not talking about salvation by works. It's salvation by faith. If you believe God, if you believe he is your God, and that he told you to do X. What should you want to do? X. Okay. Let's go back to Jeremiah 11 verse 5. Let's go on to another verse. That. Still part of the same sentence. That I may establish the oath which I swore to your fathers. To give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And I answered and said, so be it, Lord. But the that is consequences. It, if Israel had been obedient to the Lord, would they have been kicked out of the land into captivity? No. The answer is no. So what the Lord is saying through Jeremiah is sin has consequences. The people wanted to continue to walk in sin and receive God's blessing. But what did he say in Deuteronomy 28? If they would not obey him, do they get the blessing or the curse? The curse. But they want the blessing without the obedience. And what does the scripture tell us in both the Old Testament and the New? It doesn't work that way. Proverbs 28.9. Let's go to it. You know what it says. But let's look at it, put our eyes on it. Because it relates so strongly to what we're talking about now. Proverbs 28, 9. And you know the New Testament's equivalent is John 9, 31. So it's in both. But Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, God's commandments, statutes, and judgments, even his prayer is an abomination. Meaning, are you going to get what you're asking God for if you will not hear his voice? No. If you turn away from his commandments and you want his blessings, you're going to get disappointed. You don't get the carrot. You get the stick. 
Why is God pouring out judgment all over this world today? Because we want to have God's blessing, but we want to walk in sin. Can you have it both ways? Right. It's a lack of faith. They hear about eternal judgment. They hear about eternal punishment. They hear about eternal life. They just don't believe it. Because the false teachers say, oh, a merciful God would never send anybody. The false teachers say a merciful God would never send anyone to the lake of fire. I was just watching today a teaching on... I think it was 12 false doctrines being taught in the church today. And one of them is universalism. That everyone's going to heaven anyway. You might lose a little bit of rewards, but you're going to spend eternity in heaven, so who cares? You know what kind of a teaching that is? That's blasphemy. It's absolutely false. So, let's go back to Jeremiah 11. Right. At the end of verse 5, which we are about to get to, when it says, so be it, that literally is the word amen. It comes from the verb that means to believe. So to say, so be it, it means I believe it, and it's going to come to pass because God said it. That's what faith is. You believe what God said. We have tons of people out there today that say, I believe God's going to do X. Well, if God didn't say he was going to do X, it's not faith. It's just hope. I want God to do this for me. Faith is God said it. I believe it. I'm going to do it. So you're right, Daniel. So be it is simply the Hebrew word, amen. But let's review verse 5 a little more deeply. Jeremiah lives at the time of the Babylonian captivity. Daniel and those guys have already gone into captivity. Ezekiel's gone into captivity. Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. And the people that are left in Jerusalem, God has told twice to go into Babylon. And they're saying, no, we will not. They're saying, this is our land. We demand God do this for us. And God's saying, wait a minute. My promise to you is conditioned upon your promise to me. It was, if you will obey my voice, then I'll be your God and you'll be my people. So in verse 5, he's saying, if you would remember this and repent and do what I commanded you to do, then... You would stay in the land. But what did God say in Deuteronomy 28 verse 36 would happen if they will not obey? I'll send you and the king whom you set over you into a land that you don't know. That's the captivity. So what if God does not send him into captivity? Then he's a liar. And you know what? When we get down to verse 4 of the next chapter... They call God a liar to his face. Mm. 
So verse 5 is the end of a section where God's saying, remember the promise was conditional. And you won't live up to the condition. Therefore, I've got to send you into captivity. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah. So God has just spoken to Jeremiah and God says, now go tell the people all this. Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem saying, here are the words of this covenant and do them. That's a call for repentance. Remind them of the covenant and command them to do it. What if they say, you're right, we sinned, we're wrong, we repent, we will obey the voice of the Lord. Would God have allowed them to stay in Jerusalem if they had repented? He still told them to go to Babylon. Yep. Does God change his mind? No. Verse 7, 4. What's 4 mean? Because I earnestly exhorted your fathers. What's earnestly exhorted? He sent prophet after prophet after prophet. Moses pounded the podium. I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt until this day. So he didn't just send them a prophet in Moses' day, did he? He sent him prophet after prophet after prophet. Rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. <clears throat> Yet. Uh-oh, you know what's going to follow yet, don't you? Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. Does that mean they accidentally failed to do? Or does this mean they made a conscious choice not to hear the voice of God? They made a conscious choice. Why? But everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart, meaning what? They said, I'm going to do what I want to do, and there's nothing God can do about it. What's that? That's how the book of Judges ends. Is that what Revelation 16 is about? They're still telling God, we will not listen to you. We'll do what we want. Yeah, I was trying not to put that on the recording, but you're right. The churches are doing the same thing today. What's the latest out of the Vatican? The Pope's now saying it's okay to do civil ceremonies to marry gays. It's okay. I mean, church has to keep up with the times. If we want people to keep coming through the doors and filling the coffers with gold, we got to give them what they want. Is that... Second Timothy chapter 4, wanting itching ears. Did God ever send a prophet that said, well, you know what? You can just sin all you want and God will bless you anyway. Where is that in the scriptures? Not there. It's not there. Second Kings 17 says the word of every prophet is repent. 2 Kings chapter 17 says the word of every prophet is repent. 
Everyone. What did John the Baptist say in Matthew chapter 3? Repent. Repent. What did Messiah say after his baptism? Repent. Repent. What did Peter say in Acts chapter 2 when they said, What shall we do, brethren? Repent. Repent. How many times does God say repent in the Bible? It's over and over and over again. And yet what do you hear today out of the pulpits? Repentance isn't necessary. That's a work. What, dear? If we think about just Psalm 90, verse 4. Our lifetimes have been like God taking a breath. That's true. Our life is very short. Yep. That's absolutely right. So back to Jeremiah chapter 7. No, it's chapter 11. Just 7-11, yeah. Just making sure everybody's still with me. Verse 7, For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up by the land of Egypt until this day, rising early, exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. What would make you think that God would just change his mind and say, Well, now I like sin. Well, I'll just sin a lot and that'll make me happy. But you know what? That was the teaching that came out of the 4th century. The Christmas dinner that came out of the Vatican in the 4th century was the boar's head. And it was made to be a statement to God that we will not keep your commandments. And expecting God to be pleased by that. Yes, Daniel. Why do people believe that God would all of a sudden just say, do whatever you want to do? do, whatever you want to do. Second Peter 2 talks about the false prophets say, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. 2 Peter 2 says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. So it's talking about, and then it goes on to talk about those who you know, know the way of righteousness and turn from it. It's better than for them to have never known. Better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than to know it and to turn from it. So the way of righteousness is the way that the false, false teachers, false prophets are trying to lead people away from. So yes. For to, for, so for them to take God's word and, and twist it that way, you know, yep. it's not going to be good for them. Yep. So back to verse 7. Rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice, yet... They did not obey or incline their ear. That's why God calls them stiff-necked. They refuse to turn from their way of sin. It says, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart, therefore. What does therefore mean? Because they refuse to repent, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. Meaning what? Are they going to get the blessings or are they going to get the cursings? They're going to get the cursings. Verse 9, And the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to. See those words, back to? Josiah had made great reforms. 
And as soon as he's gone, they turn back to what? Back to the iniquities of their forefathers. What does the word iniquities mean? Lawlessness. Their refusal to hear the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. And they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. A covenant sealed in blood, and they broke it. Hmm. Doesn't that just almost break your heart? Means they lied to God. Let's go back to Second Kings chapter twenty-three. Second Kings chapter twenty-three. The reason I pointed out the verses I did in Romans ten that the Lord is Yeshua. He's the same Lord who gave the commandments. And he's the one who says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. So to think that he came to destroy the law or the prophets, he tells us straight up in Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come. To destroy them, I came to fulfill them. But the misinterpretation or translation of that one little piece of scripture right there yeah. has millions of people standing on their head in a corner refusing yeah. to obey God. Yeah, because they go to an English dictionary yes. and look up the word fulfilled. And that's not the word. And that's not the word that's used there in Matthew 5.17. Plerosai does not mean fulfilled as in they went away. It means fulfilled as in he came to fully preach them, to make us fully understand them. That's why when he says, you've heard it said that it's wrong to commit adultery. He doesn't say it's okay. He says, if you even look upon a woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery. He says, you haven't understood it correctly. It's the attitude of the heart that causes the misconduct. You're guilty from the time it forms in the heart. You don't have to wait until the actions take place. You're guilty. I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 24 to 27. 2 Kings 23, verses 24 to 27. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Nevertheless, <clears throat> the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, 
with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city Jerusalem which I have chosen and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Let's go down to verses 31 and 32. Before you go there, on 24, put them, put them away. He put them away. Did he kill them? Did he put them in a cave? I mean, I know what they did, but I mean, just putting them away doesn't really explain what it means. He destroyed them and forbid Israel from remaking them. Yeah. So let's get down to verse 31. He's followed by Jehoahaz. Verse 31 says, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutai, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Josiah is not even cold in the grave yet. And what does he do? He puts back up all the idols. Brings back all the iniquities. I'm not going to fill in the names, but just like sort of like what's going on in our country, what was, and now it's all taken away and started all over again. Exactly. Then down the same chapter, verses 36 and 37. Let's go to the next king. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So Josiah takes away the idolatry, the immorality, all that. As soon as he's dead, the next king brings it all back. When he's taken away, the next king brings it all back. And brings it all back. Go to 2 Kings 24, verses 8 to 9. Jehoiakim. Not Keem, but Keen. This is the next one. Was 18 years old and became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Tehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Same chapter, 2 Kings 24 to verse 17. Then the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. So king after king after king takes the throne and instead of bringing Israel and Judah back to God, leads them off into pagan idolatry. Uh huh. That's exactly what's wrong with the world today. Mm -hmm. No one is teaching the truth. Those of us that are standing up from the truth, we're like little bitty dots in a whole bunch of darkness. 
Yep. Because the parents and grandchildren and grandparents have forgot to tell the truth. They don't even realize what is the truth anymore, I don't think. Yep. So let's go back to Jeremiah 11. We're up to verse 11. Therefore. What does therefore mean? Because. They have turned back to the idolatry, the iniquity, the lawlessness of their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which they will not be able to escape. And though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. What verse immediately pops to mind? Proverbs 28, 9. If you turn your ear away from hearing the law, God will not hear your prayer because to him it's an abomination. That's what he says here. I'm going to bring the calamity, and when they cry out to me, Lord, help us, deliver us, he's going to say no. Because what has he called upon them to do to repent? And they say, no, we're not going to repent. We like our sins, and God can just lump it. Well... Comes a point where somebody gets a lumpin' and it's not God. <sighs> Back to verse 12. God says, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go, out, will go and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense. So God says, I know. When I don't answer and save them, they're going to turn to those pagan gods and ask them to deliver them. And yeah, it says, but they will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Will not save them what? At all. At all. What's God trying to get Israel to learn? He is that idolatry is stupid. Yeah. yeah. Right? He's not cutting corners. He says, y'all are stupid for following these idols. Because if you have to make the idol, what can you think the idol's going to do for you? The only thing it can do is warm you if you throw it in the fire, and that's only if it's made of wood. If it's made out of stone or gold, even that's not going to help. Or good paperweight. Verse 13, for because according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah. How many cities were there in Judah? Lots, lots and lots. What he, what's he saying about the number of pagan idols? Lots and lots. Does crying out to a thousand idols do you any more good than crying out to one? The answer is no. None of them does any good. It says, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. Now, Baal means husband, right? Baal means husband, yeah. So here's the betrothed of God calling an idol husband. And where have they set up altars? Right in the middle of Jerusalem. Right on the Temple Mount. Is that like rubbing it in God's face? It's rubbing it in God's face. 
Verse 14, so. What does so mean? Because they've done this. There's a consequence to the sin. So do not pray for this people. Or lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. This directive is to Jeremiah. God forbids Jeremiah from praying for them. Because God will hear Jeremiah's prayer if he's being obedient. So God commands them, don't you dare pray for them. Think about this. God did not even tell Moses not to pray for the children of Israel. And they were bad in Moses' day. So think about how bad they are during the time of Jeremiah that God would tell Jeremiah, don't even pray for them. means other than Jeremiah, there's not even five righteous. I would dare say outside of Jeremiah, there's none. How many people are going to survive out of Jerusalem? I can actually think of three. Jeremiah, Baruch, and Tiatefi, if those stories are true. So verse 14, Israel has gone to the point where God has judged them and the judgment is sealed. With one exception. What can break the seal? Repentance. And that's what God's going to keep telling them. If you will simply repent, then this judgment does not have to be. Verse 15. It says, What has my beloved to do in my house, having done lewd deeds with many? He's talking about his betrothed being like a faithless wife who's gone out and committed adultery with all these pagan idols. And the holy flesh has passed from you. When you do evil, then you what? Then you rejoice. What are we supposed to do if we do something wrong? Repent. We're supposed to repent. Doesn't the section remind me of Isaiah 5? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's exactly what they're doing here. Oh my. My house refers to the temple. My beloved is Judah. We know that from Isaiah chapter 5. So what is my beloved to do in my house? Meaning... Why are they even bothering to come to the temple to bring sacrifices? Sounds like Jeremiah 1. Why are you bringing me sacrifices without repentance? Without repentance, God doesn't want your sacrifice. It's just a dead animal. The sacrifices were to be brought after you repent as a sign of your repentance and that you're now going to be obedient. 
But God says, you won't stop the sinning. So why are you coming to my house as if you're repenting? Because you're not. The holy flesh has passed from you, meaning these sacrifices are not holy in God's eyes when they're brought by unrepentant sinners. Says when you do evil, then you rejoice. Like Daniel said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I know before somebody says it, sounds just like America today, doesn't it? Well, verse 16, the Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. That's what Israel is called to be, is that cultivated olive tree that bears good fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire in it, and his branches are broken. Why? Romans 11 explains why. Turn over to Romans 11. It tells us exactly why some branches are broken off and cast into the fire. Romans chapter 11. Because what was that word, Daniel, you just said? Unbelief. Unbelief. To put it another way, no faith. No faith. Romans 11, start in verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off, just like we just read back in Jeremiah, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, the root and fatness refers to what? The Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Do not boast against the branches. That's the Jewish believers. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Paul says, well said, meaning, yeah, that's true. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. What's haughty mean? Arrogant, proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. So what happens if you stop believing? It doesn't sound like that at all, does it? It sounds like that branch will be broken off. And cast into the fire. Verse 22. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell. That is those who lost faith. Severity. But towards you. You who are full of faith. Goodness. If. Oh what's that if mean? Here's the condition. If you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? 
What in here says you can claim to be saved, live a life of sin, and God will just enjoy your sin? Not a bit. Verse 22, and it says, You will be cut off. That means, does not mean you'll be cut off to come into the kingdom faster. That's right. Just like in Isaiah 66, 17, those that are eating piggy when the Lord returns, says he's going to consume them. He's going to kill them. The doctrine of once saved, always saved simply doesn't measure up to what Romans 11 tells us, does it? Unfortunately, too many people think they're saved when they're actually not. Salvation is the goal, not the starting point. How many times does our English Bible say saved, past tense, when the Greek underlying it says being saved in the future? I mean, because that even said, I mean, Peter points it out clearly. Peter points it out clearly. In 1 Peter. In 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. Everybody turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one verse nine. Receiving the end, that's the word telos, goal or purpose, uh uh-huh, of your faith. Which is the salvation of your souls. So we must maintain our faith. But faith is not what people go look it up in the English dictionary. What is faith? God said it, I believe it, I'm going to do it, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, verse 13 says, continue your walk. Don't stop it. And be holy, for I am holy. God calls us to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 17. Which is going to make us go look at Isaiah 5. But not yet. Let's read verse 17 first. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you. For the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense to Baal. What does it mean in verse 17, the Lord of hosts who planted you? That's why we need to go to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. God explains what he means by I planted you. Isaiah 5 will start in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. What hell is that? Ephrata, right? 
He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned. That hedge is what protected it from its enemies. Break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there's no place. For they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, Lord of hosts said, Truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitants. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. That's a 90% reduction. So you plant a hundred, you get ten. Anybody think that's good? No. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and flute and wine are in their feasts, but they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of his hands. Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Hosea 4 tells us what kind of knowledge are they lacking? The law of the Lord, the Torah. That would be da'at, yes, for those that are practicing. Their honored men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Let's go to Hosea chapter 4. We just mentioned it. Because my mind tends to take the same path. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Yep, yep that is the aunt. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. They did what? Rejected, that's a conscious choice. Is this only going to apply to Israel? Or is this going to apply to all people? Yep. That's right. In Jeremiah, God's wrath was poured out not just upon Israel, but upon every nation of the world, and for the same reasons. 
when we get to it, eventually we're going to see that he says every nation is going to come under condemnation because they have failed to keep his commandments. Think about the iniquity of the Amorites in Genesis 15. God was not going to kick them out of the land until their lawlessness or iniquity was full. That's right. So that means he wasn't just kicking them out of the land because he had a bad day. He kicked them out of the land because for the same reason he kicked Israel out of their land. Exactly. He kicked the Amorites out of the land of Canaan, gave it to the land of Israel. When the Israelites start acting like the Canaanites, then he kicks them out too. Right. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 goes on to say, because you have forgotten the Torah, the law of your God, I also will forget your children. And then turn to Hosea chapter 6. In Hosea chapter 6, Israel is being regathered back to the land. Messiah is about to come. It says in verse 2, after two days he'll revive us. On the third day he'll raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain. That is, God's commandments do not change over time. Yes, Melanie. When we come to the end of verse 2, we get raptured up. The third day is the day of the Lord. We're talking about the third day from Messiah's first coming. The two days represent the 2,000 years from Messiah's first coming until the day of the Lord, and that's the third day. So sometimes God describes six days and then the seventh, and sometimes he looks from the coming of Messiah and has two days and then the third, which takes us to the same point. There reminds me of John 2. The wedding at Cana, you know, it talks at the beginning of the chapter, it says, now on the third day. The wedding of Cana, on the third day. Why does God keep giving us days like that? And it talks about the mar that marriage feast. It talks about the marriage feast, which we are going to come after two days from Messiah when we hit the third day. Yeah. The wine, the joy, all talks about tabernacles. Yeah, all full of pictures. Wine, joy, talks about the Feast of Tabernacles, the establishment of the kingdom, Messiah dwelling amongst men. He turns the water into wine. Wine's a symbol of joy. What's another term for tabernacles? The season of our joy. Yes, Melanie. So the third day, is that the start of the third day? Yes, the start of the third day. After two days at the start of the third day. So 2,000 years from the first coming starts the day of the Lord. Don't you wish we knew exactly when the two days started, but we don't know exactly. And then also when Abraham saw Mount Moriah, it was on the third day. And also when Abraham saw Mount Moriah, it was on the third day. Yeah. There's a reason God keeps telling us the third day, the sixth day, the seventh day. Is that, and that's for us to put all these pictures together to complete the jigsaw puzzle. All righty. Let us go back to Jeremiah. We're up to verse 18. 
Now the Lord gave me, me being Jeremiah, knowledge of it. And I know it, for you showed me their doings. In other words, the Lord let Jeremiah see the sins being carried out by the children of Israel in Judah. It's going to be the same word. Yep. Da'at. D-A apostrophe A-T. It comes from the verb yada, which means to know. So yada is the verb, da'at is the noun. It's the he-feel form of the verb. He-feel is causative. God is causing me to know. But the noun, if you were to draw it from that, would be da'at. Yeah. So verse 18, now the Lord gave me knowledge of it. He caused me to know. That's why they put gave me knowledge. That's the way they could convey it best they knew how. And I know it, for you showed me their doings, but... I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. You read those verses and go, say what? What it means is, Jeremiah's own neighbors and family said, let's poison him and be done with this fellow. Jeremiah was prophesying repent, and they didn't want to hear it. Jeremiah's from a priestly family, right? His priestly family wanted to put him to death so he'd stop preaching repentance. That's what they mean. Let us destroy the tree with this fruit. Let's destroy Jeremiah before somebody listens to this man and decides that we should repent. Uh, they actually took poison from the trees to kill him. How many of you have been told that when you eat an apple, you never eat the core and the seeds? Arsenic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it says they used tree poison. They used arsenic from the, the fruit to try and kill him. First, apparently not. <laughs> but they tried nonetheless. They tried to kill him many times. If I take the cores of apples that I throw in the trash and the dog eats it, I don't know how arsenic affects dogs. She says chickens are not supposed to eat it. Yeah, the seeds are full of arsenic. So, yeah. Okay. Verse twenty. But O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart. Not literally the brain and the thing pumping blood. is talking about the thoughts and the innermost feelings. So God doesn't have to wait to see what you do. 
He knows what's in your heart. He knows what your thoughts are, your intentions, your desires. It says, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. So Jeremiah says, Lord, they want to kill me. I need your help. I need your protection. Will God hear Jeremiah's prayer? Yes, because Jeremiah serves the Lord our God. That points, points out an important principle. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Jeremiah doesn't take vengeance on his own. He calls for the Lord to intervene. Right. If Jeremiah had tried to take care of it himself, he would have been acting outside the will of God. You're right. Verse 21 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anatoth. Where was Jeremiah from? Anatoth. Like I said, it's his friends and neighbors, his family, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. That's not what the Lord's saying. That's what the friends and neighbors are saying. Is that if you prophesy in the name of the Lord, we're going to kill you. Nice family. Verse 22, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. Hmm. Why would God allow them to die? Because they have rejected God. They've been given over to a reprobate mind. They've cast off God. They only want to worship the idols. And God says, I'll take away my hedge of protection. And Babylon's going to come in and destroy them. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, God will send them strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. And it says after that, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth. That they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's what's going on here. There are hundreds of false prophets in Jerusalem. And there is one Jeremiah. They want to hear from the false prophets. The false prophets say, God is taking pleasure in all your sin. He loves you. He won't let anything happen. Make this Jeremiah quit telling you to repent. You don't need to repent. Those are works. Mm. Yeah, verse 23. And there shall be no remnant of them. Oh, talk about a complete and total disaster. There were none left in Jerusalem when the judgment is over. There shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anatoth, even the year of their punishment. So they will perish completely at the command of the Lord. Oh my. Maybe chapter 12 will be a little brighter. Well, let's see. Yeah, he never becomes the happy prophet. He always is the weeping prophet. 
Verse 12 says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Hmm. There's a word here that's wrong in verse 1, and that's the word when. The word is key. It's for or because. For or because. The Hebrew word is key. Righteous are you, O Lord, because I plead with you. Let me talk with you about your judgments. Meaning, whenever I pray to you, Lord, you're righteous in your answer. So let's talk about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? This is a question that gets asked over and over again in the scripture, doesn't it? And I get asked it lots and lots by people out there that are listening online who say, why do the wicked get rich and seem to be so happy? And some of the most righteous people in our eyes are poor and suffer. Is that not a question that gets asked a lot? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Boy, Genesis 6 is a way back there, isn't it? Genesis 6, 9. Now this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect. That word is tamim. It means without spot or blemish in his generations. Noah walked with God. Walked with God. That is a heat pa'el verb in Hebrew, which means he made a conscious choice to work with God. But of how many people does God say this in Noah's day? No, that's it. <laughs> what about the rest of the world? Maybe gone. Verse 11, they were corrupt. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Yeah, the word's Hamas. Yeah. So, in all the world, God was able to find one person who was upright and righteous in his eyes. Let's go to Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. I've often thought about what you have said about Noah. Why? was left in the, you know, the flood and uh, Lot's day and things like that. Yep. And then when you try to grasp the concept of how many people will be left at the final judgment it's very shaky. Yeah, it really is. Did I hear Rachel? No. No, nope, it's Julie. Okay, Julie. What about Enoch? Enoch's already gone. Enoch's already okay. gone. Yes, I thought you just meant told nobody else other than Noah. I'm sorry. That's understood. Thanks. Okay. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. 
What about all the rest of the people on the earth? They're not righteous. Genesis chapter 18. Yes, it does. Genesis chapter 18, verse 23. Yeah, we're just barely into the book. Adam. Didn't do right. It, it went down to the pits in a hurry. Yeah. Okay, Genesis 18, verse 23. We're about to run out of time. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He's negotiating with God over Sodom and Gomorrah. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. We spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. You see where this is going, right? How many righteous were there? Less than 10. Only Lot, his wife, and his two daughters were taken out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and his wife turned back. So three were delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm sorry, but we've run out of time. We'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, continuing our discussion of verse 1.